and invite the ushers to come on down as we take up the offering this morning. And I um, just want to say uh, to everybody in the room, we're so glad you're here this morning. And um, we're thankful just for the generosity um, for people's giving. And we always want it to be a place uh, from the heart. Um, and uh, uh, that's what we see in the scriptures. And we believe that in the New Testament church and in this day and age that, man, um, we want to give out of the overflow of our hearts, out of the abundance of what God's provided for us, and that's how we give back to Him. Um, also, if you're new and um, uh, first time here at Antioch, we'd love for you to fill out one of those cards in the, in the seat back in front of you, or you can go online as well and fill out a little connect form. Uh, that way we can follow up with you and tell you more about life groups and how to serve and be part of this church uh, called Antioch. So, all right. Well, my name's Tyler Hardy. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. And, um, uh, you know, we are so excited. We are doing this, our last 10 a.m. service. We're excited about that. And we're also excited about next week. We're going to 9 and 11. So just if you showed up today at 10 o'clock, hey, that's great. Next week, you can come at 9 or 11 o'clock, all right? So uh, you can take your pick. We're going to customize it for you. And uh, it's going to be great. So we'll see you here next week, hopefully. But just want to say uh, welcome to anyone that's brand new here at the church this morning. So if you're a freshman um, or if you're parents or if you're a new family in town, uh, welcome to Bryant College Station and welcome to Antioch. And um, our heart's desire is just to create family here at the church. So if you don't know much about us, we planted in 2009. So we're a 13-year-old church, and we launched in August 2009, so right around this time. And uh, God's been great, and um, we have uh, seen many people come through, and that's kind of the nature of this town. Uh, we believe that we are a church that's committed to training and sending people into the world, whether it be in the marketplace or in the nations or in the ministry or to being great moms and dads at home, whatever that looks like. Um, and uh, we, we want to do that and continue to equip you and uh, help you figure out, man, where does God have me uh, in the body of Christ? Where does God have me in this world? And how can I live my life that's gonna best honor him? So that's our desire here at Antioch. Um, <clears throat> and today we're gonna be uh, kicking off a new series that's gonna continue for the next um, six weeks. And really it's gonna be focused in on um, our relationship with God, simply put. Um, uh, you know, whenever you read the scriptures, uh, you look at the idea of loving God and how do we love him? How do we honor him? How do we serve him? And um, that's what this book is full of. And what we want to do is to take just the next six weeks to unpack a few pieces about that to say, hey, this is how we can position our lives in such a way that we truly are loving him, right? We don't want to give lip service to him. Uh, we want it to be authentic. We want it to be real, right? I don't want to say to my wife, I love you without actually backing that up, right? You have to mean it, right? Words can be cheap, we know. And so we want to be a people to say, hey, what does God say for us as people that are followers, that are worshipers of him, what does he say about loving him, right? Because in the end, our lives, uh, when, you, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you say, hey, I receive you, all that you've done for me on the cross, your death, resurrection, your forgiveness, then what you're saying is, okay, now I'm gonna follow you. You see these stories over and over in the, in the scriptures where Jesus comes and he heals somebody, right? And he says, hey, 
Not only are you healed, but your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Or, hey, follow me. He's talking about following me because that is the way to life. That is the way into walking in the light and avoiding and walking away from the darkness and the brokenness in our world is to follow him. So we want to be people that actually feel confident and know in our hearts and minds, hey, I am loving God, you know, and that, and that I can give a clear defense for that not just amongst friends and family or coworkers, but even just before him. Say, God, I am honoring you and loving you the best I know how. So we wanna be able to do that and walk through some of those pieces the next six weeks. Um, I uh, came across this uh, little illustration, which I thought would be fitting for today. It says, once the devil was walking, around, uh, uh, walking along with one of his cohorts, they saw a man ahead of him and he picked up something shiny. What did he find, asked one of the cohorts. A piece of truth, the devil replied. Doesn't it bother you that he found a piece of truth, asked the cohort. No, said the devil. I will see to it that he makes a religion out of it. Now, pause for a second. Um, there's religion, there's relationship, right? What, what we are going to emphasize is that there's a relationship that God's intended for us to have with him. And that that relationship only comes through Jesus. But any religion in the world would profess that their way is the right way, right? That they wholeheartedly believe in this leader or this prophet or this person as this is the way to God or this is the way to paradise or this is the way to have the next life or whatever it may be. Anyone in the world, that's what they believe, right? And interestingly enough, there's, um, there's, there's not an exact estimate I could find, but the estimates range everywhere from 4,000 up to 10,000 world religions, right? Now, many of those religions are uh, subsets of other religions, right? But the major five world religions are Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism meaning that many religions actually come from those five. And, um, uh, and so when you think about religions and even people going to the big giveaway a couple nights ago, right? Just got to talk to people from different nations, from different, uh, from different belief systems, from different groups that are there to bring on some blenders and some furniture and get their help, right? And, and we are told by God that we are called to love our neighbor, as we love ourselves, that means to, it's not just to love you and me or the person who's next to you, but it's actually to see people in such a way to say, hey, we're gonna love them. So our job is to love people regardless of where they're coming from or what they believe. Yet, if you are here this morning, I want you to know that here at Antioch, we do believe that Jesus is the only way that there is no other way. You may or may not believe that, and you're here this morning, but we wanna be clear with you that we believe that. I'm gonna unpack some of that today and why we believe that. Um, but you know, when it comes to our faith, and we talk about um, truth and talk about the Bible, um, we have to ask the question, okay, why should I believe the Bible, right? And if you do your own research, you'll find lots of different stories and examples and illustrations and blogs and articles and books on the Bible, what people think about it or don't think about it. But I'm just gonna share a few thoughts today about why I should believe the Bible. The writers of the Bible um, claim that the Bible is God's very word, right? Paul, the apostle Paul actually said that all scripture is God breathed in 2 Timothy. 
That's to say that the original writings of the scripture originated from the mouth of God before it ever came into the pens or those little, what are those things called with the feather? Yeah, those things. Who knows what they were writing with, right? But it came into those. Before it came into their minds, it was spoken from God. It was spoken to them in different ways. That's why we say that the scriptures are inspired by God. Peter, um, one of the disciples of Jesus, he also wrote that prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That phrasing, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, found in Second Peter, is the idea that carried along, kind of like if you're in a sailboat, not that I can sail very good, but if you're in a sailboat, the wind, what? carries you along, right? And so you're actually propelled by the wind, meaning that it is the writing of the scripture that was directed by the Holy Spirit, carried along that concept, meaning it's not just produced in man's heart or mind, but it comes from God and man is the instrument who is writing it. Now, the unity of the scripture is further reason, many would argue, and I would argue, for why someone should believe the Bible. The Bible was written over a period of approximately 1,500 years with at least 40 different writers, most of whom did not know each other and were from varying backgrounds, right? There were kings, there were fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, and the like. The Bible was written also in different environments, right? In the desert, in prison, in a palace. Three different languages were used to write the Bible, and it carries a harmonious message from Genesis to Revelation. Now, the Bible also claims um, certain truths, right, concerning world history. So if you're a history buff, I'm not a history buff, but I would like to be one. I'd like to pretend that I am one um, because I really liked history. And, you know, so if you think about history, that's something good that you can actually measure by to say, okay, well, the facts that are in here or the different civilizations or the times things happen in world history, can it be verified? Can it be found, right? And modern day archeology span studies or by uncovering different writings from different uh, uh, cultures that are affirming the same things that were written. You try to put all the evidence together. Well, um, for example, uh, skeptics used to criticize the Bible for its mention of the Hittite people, which you may have glanced over, but it's in 2 Kings. In chapter 7, there's mention of the Hittite people, and um, at, up, up until 1876, there was a lack of archaeological findings about the Hittite people. So many people said, hey, guess what? That's reason why the Bible is actually off, because we can't locate that civilization where it says it is. But then in 1876, archaeologists discovered evidence of the Hittite nation in what is today Turkey and northern Syria. And a few years later, by the early 20th century, the vastness of the Hittite nation and influence of the ancient world was common knowledge in the archaeological world. Yet many times they give no evidence that actually the Bible was the one leading them to find this place, right? So the Hittite nation is vast. But 150 years ago, people would have said, you're nuts. They didn't exist. One person put it this way, um, science is always playing catch up to the Bible, right? It's already there. And it's like, oh, that's how that does. Now we put it in our own terms and I'm not knocking science. I think science is great. I think history is great. But when we start to look at, and even medicine, right? You can look at 
things in medicine, modern advances. You can find different pieces that, hey, hold on, they were doing something like that 2,000 years ago, maybe a little different, but with the same principles applied. So the Bible can be trusted, I firmly believe, through the scientific accuracy, the historical accuracy, and those would be enough. But I want to go a step further, because for us and our faith, if that's where it ended, I don't, I don't know if I'm willing to give my life for Jesus and give my life for what this word says. But we have to look at also the 300 plus prophecies, the known as the messianic prophecies that were spoken of Jesus Christ and the events surrounding his death, burial, resurrection, and leading up to that and his birth and a bunch of other pieces that were fulfilled in the New Testament that are factual. There is the prophecies are spoken anywhere from 500 to 1,000 years earlier before Jesus ever was born on planet Earth and before his death and resurrection, and yet they have been verified and fulfilled, which is crazy. And so, but it's not just prophecies about Jesus. There's other ones about Abraham and Sarah having a son, and that there are prophecies that were spoken of and fulfilled relatively quickly, and, that, and also ones that took hundreds of years to be fulfilled. So, for me, just that's just a short summary to give you a few pieces to chew on and for you to even dig a little deeper. Because what I want you to know is that in the end, this has to be something that you believe that you wrestle with. It has to be yours. It can't be what mom and dad said. It can't be what I said, right? I think we live in a day and age you actually have access to things you didn't have access before. But you have access to truth and you have access to falsehood as well. Right? You actually have access to all of it, the good, bad, and the ugly. Right? If it, whatever, whatever you wanted to be protected by, it's actually exposed, it's out there. You can find anything to support your argument now. Pretty much. Right? I mean, you could probably Google search, there is no gravity, and probably find articles and studies on, yeah, there's no gravity. And you'd be like, that's crazy talk. Right? Right? But guess what? That exists in our day and age because people express opinions about everything, right? I think that shirt's cute. I think that shirt's ugly. Which is it? Is that a true statement? No, it's just you think it's ugly. You think it's cute. Great. You buy the cute one, don't buy the ugly one. That's fine, right? This is, this is our world. We live in a world of opinions, not truth, Right? So I'm just, I'm just letting you know, no matter where you land, and this can be a whole other discussion we won't have today, but here's what I'm telling you. Um, there's a lot of things that I thought I was right on 20 years ago that I totally would refute now because it was an opinion. It was a perspective. Even things on like, hey, I know exactly how to raise a child <laughs> before I ever had children, right? Because I studied. And I learned, and I read books, and I inquired from other people who had raised these so-called children. And I could tell you exactly what to do when they had a problem sleeping. And then you get into practicing parenting. You're like, okay, that book was kind of helpful, but there was no section on that, right? Take it into anything and I'm telling you, God has wired us in such a way to where we actually have to experience life before we have a better understanding perspective on it and authority on it. And his goal is that actually in life, you become wiser and more grounded and more held on to the faith as you get older, not less of. 
right? And yet many times we have strayed from the faith or strayed from the truth and, um, and then that leads us down paths that get crooked and I'll use the term wonky, right? But I wanna look at two passages today that we can look at in John chapter eight and in 2 Timothy three. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, open them up. And we're gonna look at a couple of things today. In John chapter eight, this is what Jesus is saying to a group of Pharisees. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, familiar with the Bible, in John chapter eight, the, 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 the first part of that chapter is about the woman who was caught in adultery. Okay, so this woman, she was caught by people. They, 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 they essentially grabbed her, drug her out, and they're about to stone her. And Jesus steps on the scene. And they're like, get out of the way. We're gonna stone her because the law says that a woman who commits adultery deserves death by stoning. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus gets down in front of her. And we still don't really know exactly what he wrote, but he gets down in front of her and writes this deal on the ground, distracts him for a moment, and he says, hey, you who are without sin, be the first one to throw a stone. Go for it. And then all the stones started dropping, starting with the oldest guy to the youngest guy. Like, oh, well, shoot. Right? Don't you love those moments in the Bible where it's like, Jesus got him. He got him. It's like, yeah. It's like, boom. You know, you want to fist bump Jesus? There you go. Jesus is still doing that today, by the way. Because he is all wisdom, all knowledge. He is it. He is the epitome of everything. He is so good and wise. And it's just, wow, how did he come up with that, you know? And so that's what's happening in John chapter 8 here. That just happened. The Pharisees walk off, and then we pick it up here with Jesus interacting with the Pharisees again. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. So Jesus makes a claim right here, we're gonna pause, that his testimony is true. His testimony is true, but they are calling him out for, hey, we know in the law and how we operate in society, which is there's got to be at least two witnesses, right? If someone commits a crime, there's got to be at least two witnesses to verify that. You can't just have the one-on-one thing happen, right? So you got to have at least two or three people claiming that same thing, the same version of the story. We still have that in our courses. We're supposed to have multiple witnesses giving evidence and affirmation and testimony about a certain situation that happened to line the stories up. But Jesus is saying, my testimony is true even if I bear witness about myself. That's a pretty big claim. He is essentially going, going against hundreds of years of their setup and saying, actually, I'm telling is true, period. Now, let's continue on in verse 15. He says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And that second person, and the Father who sent me, bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, well, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now that statement hurts. You know why? 
because he's speaking to the Pharisees who spend their whole life and time in their religious studies and developing different traditions. And in many of their own ways, they are trying to obey the laws that were written. They're looking at Deuteronomy, looking at Leviticus, looking at the Ten Commandments. How can we apply those? But then they added a bunch of stuff onto it. And their whole deal is, how can we know God? And we are the ones who really know God, who really have the authority and the knowledge, understanding, experience to really know God and tell you what God really thinks about X, Y, and Z. Right? So you kind of come to the Pharisees and say, hey, what do we do about this? And the Pharisees would kind of give you their determination as being this kind of know-it-all, right? And yet Jesus right here says, not only do you not know me, you don't know my Father, the God that you claim to know. Now that's like, you can imagine, that's when the foaming in the mouth starts for these guys. It's like, how dare you? I mean, I cannot imagine the look on their faces, but you had to believe there was just incredible anger and offense. Right? You ever come across someone that you offended? If you haven't, you must have gone in hiding the last three years. If you've not offended anybody the last three years, I don't know what you're doing. Um, but uh, a lot of us don't want to offend people to their faces because you don't know what's coming. We usually offend people this way nowadays. I should prefer the face-to-face -face so we can just have it out right there, right? Um, but Jesus offends them dramatically here. And he is stating that he bears witness about himself and so does the Father, meaning he has the secret connection, this divine connection with God the Father that they necessarily don't have. That's a big claim. Let's continue on. Verse 25. He goes on and says a few more things. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me, referring to God, is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus says, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that what I've heard, that declare to the world what I have heard from him. So let me just stop there. For anyone in the room, anybody watching, there is only one Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't know me, you cannot know the Father. If you don't know me, you cannot be forgiven of your sins. If you don't know me, you will be enslaved to sin the rest of your life. You will, you will spend out eternity in utter darkness in a place called hell, but I am preparing a place for you called heaven, and that's where my father dwells. And where he dwells, we don't need electricity, and the streets are gold, and it's going to be incredible. I don't know if we're eating food or not, but it's probably going to be tasty. I have no idea. But he's saying, I am not just your ticket to a good life now. I am your ticket to eternity. But not just a ticket. 
that you get stamped and punched. I am a person that, by the way, when you receive me, I come and make my house in you. So now when you receive me, now all of a sudden you are never alone the rest of your life. Which means you can never say I'm alone when you receive Jesus. He is always with you. Right? Now that's hard to believe. He's like, wait a second, he's gonna live inside of me? And kind of weird, but didn't he die? And how's that, you know, right? And, and, and yet he says to his disciples right before he ascends and goes to heaven, that's later on in Matthew, right? And, he, and, and, and at the end of Matthew, and then you get into Acts chapter one, talks about Jesus, his death, resurrection, appears himself to all these people. He says, hey, my time's done on earth now. I'm going up to be with the Father. But don't worry, I'm leaving, but it's gonna be okay because I'm gonna send my spirit, the Holy Spirit, but just wait. They're like, Holy Spirit, but we want you, right? Because we've interacted with you, but Holy Spirit... And what they didn't realize is that everything Jesus was doing on earth, right? When he was baptized in the Jordan River, it says that God, clouds parted, spoke to him, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it says the Holy Spirit came down and ascended upon Jesus Christ. And it came upon him in the form of a dove. Then he got up out of the water. So in one moment, he's affirmed by God the Father, the very Father he's talking about, in front of all these people, including Pharisees at the time, other people, just before he starts his ministry. That happens. The Holy Spirit comes, descends upon him. It doesn't say he flew away. Right? One of those like falcons you send off to go get something. is like, oh, the dove came and the dove stayed. And so then Jesus gets out of the water. He's drenched. Now he's filled with the Spirit just been affirmed by the people who were there watching that God the Father says, this is my son. This is the real deal. John the Baptist is there thinking, okay, this is the Messiah. This is the real deal. He's here. And then for three and a half years, he lives his life. In that three and a half years, this John 8 part that we're reading in the story, and Jesus is declaring, I am he. I am truth. I am it. And you want to know truth, you got to come through me. You can, you can search things all you want, but if you're trying to avoid me, cut me out of the deal, you'll never find it. People try to search for God by cutting Jesus out of it. You can't do it. It'll be an equation that doesn't have an actual solution. You'll keep working it and you're working it. And that's why there's 4,000 plus religions. They keep working it because they're wanting to know I don't, I don't feel right. It doesn't, I, no matter how much I pray, I still feel the weight and the brokenness. No matter how much I believe the miracle's not happening, no matter how much this or how much the forgiveness is not right. And Jesus says, I'm the only one that can make it right. There are no number of self-help books or paradigms or sing-alongs or uh, Cheetos you can eat or Netflix shows you can binge on that's gonna make you feel right. It is him. He's what makes you right. And for a Pharisee at the time, and for people today, what's hard is to actually say, wow, I have to leave my pride at the door because I can't do it. I can't work hard enough. I can't be good enough to be right. And that's hard, guys. I like to say, I think every baby is born prideful. I mean, think about it. They just sit there and they let everyone look at him and they're just teasing us. Goo goo gang. He's like so cute and we're just center of attention, you know. But then eventually they grow up and you realize, oh wait, it's not just, they're cute. it's like, oh no, they're, they're certainly prideful. 
If you don't have any kids, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But man, we were all prostitutes, you know, okay? And then you get saved and you come to Jesus and you realize, oh, I got to work the rest of my life. I got to work out this pride thing. And it keeps rearing its head. It's, Lord, humble me. Break me again. I'm not the center of the world. You are. I'm not in charge. You are. Lord, not my will, your will, right? Father, what do I want to do? I love what Jesus said. He said, guess what? In verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. That's such good news. He's not left us alone. He sent his spirit to be with you, which means in this room, when we all disperse, the spirit of God can go with you. He's not just hanging out here at 1803 Briarcrest. Trust me. He's with people. That's why we're meant to be temples that dwell, that, that house the spirit of God. But he says, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You want to know what loving God is like? How do you do that, right? Do I need a checklist of 112 things? No, I think you could actually just ask this question. What I'm doing, is it pleasing to him? How I'm treating my coworker, is this pleasing to him? How I'm disciplining my kids right now, is this pleasing to him? How I'm treating my body right now, the food I'm eating, is this pleasing to him? How I'm exercising or not exercising, how I'm sleeping or not sleeping, how I'm viewing this situation or this person that got offended, am I, is that pleasing to him? You just go back and it's, oh, I'm trying to please God, not pleasing to my wife. Is this pleasing to my kids? Is this pleasing to society? Is this pleasing to the church? Or oh, what about my boss? What about, please? that's secondary. I'm not saying we don't, we don't care about other people, we do. I think that's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. He could have saved that for like, you know, seven chapters later, but he just said it right there. It's like, hey, hey, it's both hands, both hands. You, you can't love God and be a jerk to people, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a combo, but it's, let's get our priorities here. So Jesus is claiming to be true and everything and God who sent him is true. And he goes on this last part of this verse that we're gonna read at John chapter eight, verse 31 through 32, probably the most familiar phrase in this whole chapter. He says this, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, remember there's some Jews who just believed him after hearing this whole conversation going on. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So they believed then he said, you must abide, then you are disciples. But what kind of disciples? Truly my disciples. Now, why do you say that? Truly. Well, another word for truly could be really, right? In our modern day, we don't say truly a lot, but really, right? So really disciples, meaning potentially in that moment, you have three groups of people. You have people that are not following Jesus at all. Nope, non-starter, right? I don't believe you're true, nada, nothing. Everything you're saying is fake, or I don't think it's good, or I like half it, because that's nice, but the other half I don't like, okay? We live in that day and age, okay? So there's people that are like, hey, just flat out rejecting the truth, okay? But then there's people like, hey, no, I believe. And Jesus is saying, hey, there's actually two groups of you. There's those that actually believe and abide with me and actually follow my teachings, and there's people that believed, but they're not really sincere. Now, who's to judge that? Not me. But God ultimately knows the hearts of men and women. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. Maybe your roommates don't. Maybe your spouse doesn't. Maybe no one else does, but he knows you. I think that's important because we need to know that ultimate accountability is to him. 
to each other secondarily, but to him, because he's the one that sees all, knows all. So he's looking for not just surface disciples, but really disciples, truly disciples. And he says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. My word, what he's referring to there is all-encompassing all of his teachings, a summary of all of Christ's teachings. He's saying, you gotta abide in that. It's not just like a statement, right? So we talk about the truth and that we are committed to the truth of God's word here at this church, and we want to invite you into that journey. If you're not there, we want to challenge you to go on the journey of figuring out, is it worth believing? Is it worth all of it? Not some of it, not part of it, not a few of the words, but the whole thing. It's either all or nothing. I wholeheartedly believe that because you can either have all of Jesus or none. You can't partially. It's not the way it works. He says later on, he says, if you love me, you obey my commands, right? Obey my teachings. Man, okay, well, I really love you, Jesus, but I'm not gonna obey you. He's saying that doesn't work. That, that we, we pretend that works, but it doesn't work that way. But abiding, that idea is, uh, he's saying abide in my word, okay? So remaining in, right? Abide is another word for remain. So like remaining, it doesn't mean you have to walk around with this everywhere. And this, this, this one's big, okay? I get it. But I, I, I don't have to walk around everywhere I go, like I'm coaching baseball. Hey guys, sorry, I can't, I can't let this down. It's not, that's not the concept. The concept is you're remaining with him. You're not leaving, you're not leaving him at the door, right? You're taking him with you, that he's with you. Meaning, while he can say, everything I'm doing, I'm doing it's pleasing to him. How can he say that? Because how he's living life, how he's walking, operating is pleasing to the Father. Meaning, he's saying to us, abide in his word. That means abiding in the truth 24-7. And I think that's what's challenging for us today. What's true? What's not true? And we're not just, you know, we're talking about the scriptures today, but there's a lot of things that we mix up between what's fact, what's opinion, what's perspective, what's preference, but then what's, what's true? And, and I, here, here's, here's what I encourage us with. Um, I decided a long time ago that I would trust this. I also decided a long time ago, I'm never gonna understand all of it. I'm okay with it. I'm not very smart. So I'm simple in those ways. But there's a lot of scriptures that I read 20 years ago that didn't make a lot of sense and then read them five years ago and I'm like, oh, that kinda, that's gonna do a little twist. Did they change the wording there? Right? Like, have you ever read a passage of scripture and then you read it again and you're like, wait a minute. Where have you? And then you're like telling your, have you seen this? This is, I mean, it's like, yeah, that's been there like the whole time, dude. Now, how is that possible? Because usually when you read like a novel or a book, it's the same thing. It's over and over. Well, I read that. Oh, I quote, oh yeah. This? It's like, wait a second. There's, it's like the Holy Spirit continually is giving me fresh revelation about the same thing. Now that's different. It's not just printed. Now you can also read this just as a history book if you want to. Lots of people do. Sadly, there's people in seminaries across America that teach it just as history. But you see, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, and you really believe Jesus is who he says he is, and you say, hey, Holy Spirit, I need your help to read this stuff because I'm not really smart. 
right? I didn't do great in the SAT. Some of you did. I didn't. I wouldn't get an A&M now. I did then. I didn't need to get an L. I did then, 20 years ago. So I'm good. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Times change. I got the ring, see? I'm not saying I would today. So most of y'all are probably smarter than me, like right now. You probably are smarter than me, and I will give you credit for that. But I decided a while ago that I'm not moving off of this. My opinions will change. I'll be swayed by documentaries and conversations at Thanksgiving with family and the new this and the latest that, and this is interesting and that's cool, and this response in our society and all these sort of stuff that are tossing me around. But yet, you know what's safe? This is safe. So many years ago, I think when I was a kid, they, uh, I remember it was like Sunday school class and they said, it's always stuck out to me. And they said, um, let me give you a good rule of thumb in life. And they said, um, Remember that God is God and you are not. Because in life, you're going to be tempted to step into the space of God. Hey, I think I'm God. I think I know. I think actually I can interpret that. Actually, if God was so loving, why would this? And so therefore, I'm going to work my way out of God because of my pain experience. Which we tend to do, right? We tend to, to question him or the word when there's something that we don't agree with that may be painful to admit or may hurt someone's feelings. Um, God did give us emotions. So I think those are good, actually. But emotions are never meant to trump the truth. It is what it is. It's true. Whether you feel like it's true or not, okay, but it's like gravity. It exists. I proved it to you. You know, I could do it again. Let me do it again. See, there we go. You cannot... Physically see everything. I can't see God like right here. I have never, I've never shaken Jesus' hand yet. But I will. I will. In heaven, I'm shaking his hand. And it's going to be cool. It's going to be, you know. <laughs> and we're going to know exactly what to do. No practicing. I have, have I experienced the power of Jesus in my life? Yes. Have I had God speak to me in ways that I do not understand and have no idea how that happened? Has someone prayed over me and read my mail with something they have no clue about and never met before? And it's like, what, who told you that? Absolutely. Have I seen people healed of physical ailments that should not be medically possible with my own eyes? Yes. Have I seen the power of Jesus? Yes. Have I shaken Jesus' hand yet? No. But I trust him. And faith is in the unseen. There are things that we can factually back up, the archaeology and science and all sorts of stuff, and that's good. But that is not enough. It's either the Spirit of God and you say, I'm going to lean in and say, God, I trust you. I believe in you. Reveal yourself to me however you want to. But no matter what happens, you are worth it. You are true. And I'm putting all of my chips in on that. No matter if the whole world goes up in smoke, I will not yield. I know I'm coming strong at the end, but I need you to know. Knowing this and knowing him is what's going to save your life. This is, this is eternal. 
And I fear that many are steering away because they don't like what it says. It's hard to hear. Do you think I like being called arrogant, prideful? Do you think I like seeing my sin written there? Like, oh my gosh, Lord, I repent. Nobody likes that. Even people that are tough, it's like, gosh, man, that's, oh, that's humbling, right? But man, that's what makes you more like Jesus. And I want to be able to say one day, what I do, I do pleasing to him and that I could back it up 24-7. That's what I'm working towards. I'm not there, guys. I got moments and I'm like, wow, that's really embarrassing. Yes, that's really embarrassing, Tyler. I'm glad no one's videoing me right now. That's embarrassing. The way I reacted to that, the way I lazily did that, the whatever, you know. But I want to I go here. I can't do that apart from this. I can't do that apart from him. So why don't you stand this morning as we close. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. I wanna read this last passage <clears throat> to you. Um, I'm not really gonna unpack it. I'm just gonna read it to us as kind of a, a, a final piece here um, because we, we kind of read through a, a passage that Jesus was talking about and I wanna read through a passage that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote years later to one of his disciples, Timothy. And really he mentored him and became a father to Timothy. And so what, what I want you to hear is I want you to, just to hear these words from Paul, think of it kind of this like spiritual father to a spiritual son relationship. Okay, so this is like a spiritual father saying, hey, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna be around much longer, but hey, I wanna write this to you because I want you to treasure these words because I believe in you, Timothy. I'm proud of you, but I gotta tell you the truth. So I want you to listen to it with that in mind as Paul unpacks some things that were going on at that time and I think he's speaking into today and how he's telling Timothy to really stand firm. Second Timothy chapter three. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. He goes on in verse 10. You, however, talking to Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I wanted to read that to you because I don't know if we're in the last days. It could be, could not be. Probably people thought we're in the last days like every year since that was written. I don't know. As far as I can tell, I think there's been lots of pride and lovers of money and kids disobedient to parents for a couple thousand years. <laughs> but it doesn't mitigate the fact that that's reality. That's the world we live in. And yet a spiritual father saying to a spiritual son, hey, you've got to endure. There's going to be persecutions. There's going to be challenges. But I need you to continue what you've learned. Firmly hold on to the truth because it is God-breathed. It is from him and there's life in him. This morning, I just want to invite up a couple of leaders really, really quick. Some of our life group leaders, come on up. And what I want to just extend the invitation for anyone in the room is if you're here and man, you've got doubts about Jesus, you've got doubts about the Bible, that's okay. You're not shamed or scorned. <laughs> because what I know of God is just as Paul is trying to be a spiritual father to Timothy, God is the ultimate father. And I'm a dad, I got five kids. And what I want from my kids is to come to me with their questions and doubts. I don't want them to stuff them. I don't want them to hide them from me. I don't want them just to journal about them, never bring them up. I want to say, hey, what are the questions you have? What are the doubts you have? Let's talk about it, bud. Let's talk about it. Let me, let's talk about it here. Let's talk about life experience. Let me shed light. I don't want to shame you, but let's talk about it. Because I want you to go on a journey of discovery to where you know, but you know, but you know. So that then things come up in life, you can say, no, I'm not chasing that rabbit. I'm staying here. I trust this. Even though my feelings are here, even though society says this, I trust this. I've already landed that this is my source, first and foremost. So this morning, hey, you got doubts? You got questions? Let somebody just talk to you about it, pray with you. I'm not saying we're gonna get them all resolved, but really the step to, to finding peace you've got to go to him. You can't just try to work it on your own. You say, God, I got questions. God, I got pain. God, I got doubts. I don't know what I believe. That's okay. Because Jesus um, came for people that are saying, I'm hungry, but I don't know what to eat. He wants to feed you this morning. He wants to feed you truth. He wants to feed you his mercy. He wants to give you his forgiveness, his kindness. So if you're here this morning and just need some encouragement, and also it's not just someone, if you're doubting or question, you're saying, man, I just need someone to pray for me because it's the start of the year and our kids just started school or I'm about to be a freshman or I'm stepping into my senior year or my business is driving me crazy. Can you just pray for me? Then just let them pray for you. So it's just kind of anyone and everyone can come 
but specifically this morning and you just need to come to the Father and say, Lord, here's my doubts, that's okay. We're okay with that. I think God's okay with that. He's okay with that journey. He's okay with me about it. It'll take me a while. But He wants to go on the journey with you because it's a relationship. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Lord, I just asked this morning you just come and minister to our hearts. For every one in the room, just every person who just needs encouragement, they got questions, they need answers to you, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them in a fresh way? Holy Spirit, come. You know how to speak to us. You know what's going on. I just pray that you would reaffirm who you are and your truth to every person in the room this morning. They could know that you are good, that you are trustworthy, that in you is found life. Lead us into the truth, we pray this morning in Jesus' name.